Hi everyone, welcome to episode 2 of Deep Dive into Art History. I recorded this last night and got ready and got it edited, got ready to upload it or download it and the system glitched out and I lost everything so I'm back at it again tonight doing a second recording of episode 2. Thank you for joining us tonight. We have a new Facebook page for Deep Dive into Art History, so be sure and check it out. We also have a coffee page where if you'd like to help support the channel, it's there. The information is listed on Facebook. So let's get started with episode two. The last episode, episode one, I introduced the language of art. I prefaced it and I worked on trying to figure out where I wanted to insert it, and I decided that the best place to talk about it was right at the beginning. Because when I introduce other images or other types of artwork, you're going to hear some of this language. So I wanted to kind of introduce you to it so that you would understand where the language comes from and how it's used. The elements of art and principles of design is the common language across all of the creatives. It's the language that allows us to talk to each other, provide feedback, and engage with each other from a a more formal, objective perspective. Um, when you're working with clients or you're working with other creatives as an art director, you want to give feedback that's constructive and allows them to improve their work without hurting their feelings or, or tuning them out. So this language allows you to provide that feedback and it also allows you to use what's called the sandwich approach where you start with something positive then you provide the feedback I love your photograph but you need to adjust the contrast a little bit more or the color a little bit more and I really like it and I think if you work on that a little bit it'll be exactly what we're looking for so you started with positive provided feedback using the elements and principles of art and you've ended with something positive and told them what the outcome will be if they actually take the time to do the edits. So this gives us that language and it allows us to kind of limit our personal opinion and provide it only when it's necessary. Um, that's the best way to approach it when you're working from, from a business perspective. So let's go ahead and get started. First off, we're going to talk about the elements of art. These are the basic visual tools or symbols used to create a work of art. The tools and symbols are line, shape, form, space, value, color, texture, and pattern. Now, these are the words or terms that many of your art critics will use when they discuss artwork. From an artist's perspective, these are things artists use when they're, they're creating their artwork. It's kind of like a chef in a kitchen. These are all the ingredients the artists use to make their compositions or their, their images, whether it's, di it's digital, traditional, or even a digital illustration or photograph. It's, all this is taken into consideration. So let's go ahead and take a little closer look at how each one of these elements functions. Line is the path of a dot through space. A line is used to lead the viewer's eye through the artwork. There are five types of line, vertical line, horizontal line, 
diagonal line, curved line, and zigzag line. Lines have four properties, direction, up and down, left to right, type, which refers to the five types we just talked about, measure, which is the length of the line, and character, which is going to be the media the artist uses, whether it's paint, color pencil, crayon, marker, spray paint. Shape. Shape is an area enclosed by lines. It has two dimensions, height and width. There are three types of shapes, geometric shapes, organic or biomorphic shapes, and freeform or amorphous shapes. Geometric shapes are shapes that have a mathematical formula. Circle, square, triangle, rectangle, oval. Organic shapes suggest the shapes of living things, such as flowers, fish, leaves, and these are your biomorphic shapes. Freeform shapes or amorphous shapes are irregular, uneven, maybe jagged edges. Think about paint drops, anything that has that uneven characteristic to it. Shape is usually considered a flat element. Um, it just has the height and width. Our next element is form. Forms are objects that have length, width, depth, mass, and volume. It may be painted on a surface to resemble a form. It could be a sculpture that resembles a form. Forms are either geometric or freeform. You're looking at things like cubes, rectangular prisms, cylinders, cones, pyramids, and spheres. If you're working digitally, you might even use programs like Photoshop, Maya, or ZBrush to create these three-dimensional forms. And these are really memory-intensive software programs. Space refers to the area between, above, around, below, and within objects. There are two types of space, positive space and negative space. Positive space is the objects, shapes, or forms in the artwork. Negative space is the empty space that surrounds these objects, shapes, and forms. If you're looking at a sculpture, it might even be the empty spaces or holes within that particular sculpture. Value describes the lightness or darkness of an object. Value depends on how much light a surface reflects. It's also a property of color. Now, when you're working with art, value is accomplished through shading. There are four basic shading techniques, hatching, cross-hatching, blending, and stippling. Hatching is shading using a fine series of parallel lines. Cross-hatching is shading with two or more sets of these parallel lines. Um, and the thickness of the line, as well as how close they're together, also influences how the hatching effect looks. Blending is shading through smooth, gradual application from light to dark. And stippling is shading using dots. Now, stippling is kind of interesting because the bigger the dot, the darker the area is going to look. The closer together the dots are, it's going to create a darker area. To create lightness, the lights are either going to get smaller as you move away from the shadow, or they are going to get lighter, or a combination of both. Uh, stippling was also used um, in art with color as well overlaying different layers of different colored dots 
to create that technique called pointillism. Color is the element of art derived from reflected light. Hue, value, and intensity are the three properties of color. Hue is related to the wavelength of the reflected light and is the name for the color. Value describes the darkness or brightness of a color. Intensity is the brightness or dullness of a hue. A hue, or pure hue, is called a high-intensity color. That means it's straight out of the tube, nothing's been added. Mixing a color with its complement makes a low-intensity color. And in a later episode, we're going to be taking a, a lot closer look at color. It's also interesting to, to note that the wavelengths of color also have musical notes that are attached to it as well. So if you're into how things interrelate, color is a wonderful way to look at interdisciplinary approaches. Texture is how, refers to how objects feel or look like they might feel. Visual texture, simulated texture, and invented texture are the three types of textures. Visual texture creates the illusion of a three-dimensional surface. Simulated textures imitate real textures. Invented textures are two-dimensional patterns created by the repetition of lines, shapes, or colors. And textures also added into paintings through the use of additives, through the use of texture mediums, through the use of impasto paint techniques. If you look at Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night, you're going to see it's a very textural image due to how thick the paint is, and it creates that sense of motion, texture, and movement. Pattern describes the choice of lines, colors, or shapes that are repeated over and over in a planned way. Pattern may also be used to represent textures, can also be used to create rhythm and move principles of design. These are the rules for using the elements of art to produce certain effects based on how the artist wants viewers to react to the visual images. The principles in an artwork are rhythm, movement, balance, proportion, variety, emphasis, unity, and harmony. Now let's take a closer look at how these are actually used. Rhythm is a repeated pattern created by the repetition of shapes, color, or line. It can also be described as pattern, and that's a very loose interpretation. Rhythm leads the viewer's eye through the artwork. Different types of rhythm are regular rhythm, alternating rhythm, random rhythm, progressive rhythm, and flowing rhythm. Now, regular rhythm repeats an object with the same amount of space between the object. Think about snapping your fingers. That's going to be what regular rhythm would look like if it had a sound. Alternating rhythm repeats the same object, but it changes position or adds a second object to the pattern. Now, random rhythm repeats the same object, but it's in no apparent order. Um, but it's not necessarily chaos either. Um, it's, it's repeated and orderly, but not all chaotic and jumbled together. Progressive rhythm uses one object, but it changes the object slightly each time it's repeated. Think about metamorphosis. 
Um, it might be an object that gets gradually larger and you actually see the difference between the first object and the last object. It might be subtle changes in color, like you start off with red and the red gradually changes to purple, but you don't necessarily catch what you're doing until you look at the beginning and the end. Flowing rhythm repeats wavy lines. Think about water and movement and how water ebbs and flows in the tide. Our next element is movement, which deals with the illusion of action or physical change in position. Rhythm and pattern can help create a sense of movement in a work of art. Lines are also effective at creating a sense of motion. Balance deals with the visual forces or elements in a work of art. Formal or symmetrical balance, informal or asymmetrical balance, and radial balance are the three most common types of balance within an artwork. Formal balance is a way of organizing a design so that equal or very similar elements are placed on opposite sides of a central line. This central line is called the axis or line of symmetry, and it may or may not be part of the actual design. It might be more of an imaginary line. Symmetry is a special kind of formal balance in which both halves of the object or composition are mirror images, which means they're exact copies of each other. A good way to think about symmetry is if you were to divide a person in half from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, you would see an arm on each side of that line and a leg on each side of that line. If you look at the human face divided in half vertically, you see an eye on each side, half the nose on each side, and half of the mouth on each side. So that gives you an idea of, of what perfect symmetry looks like. Informal or asymmetrical balance is a way of organizing a design so that unlike objects have visual weight or eye attraction. It's a more casual approach to balance. In Japanese art, you see a lot of the use of asymmetrical composition, especially in the Yukioi prints. You'll see a lot of color on one side, not a lot on other, or a lot of objects on one side and not a lot on the other. And asymmetrical balance is usually diagonal for some reason. A lot on one side toward one corner, not a lot on the other corner. Radial balance occurs when the elements of a design, line, shape, color, or form radiate or come out from a central point. It can also be an example of symmetry if both sides of this radial design are mirror images of each other. good example of radial balance is the rose windows in Gothic churches. If you look at the facade of a Gothic church, there's this huge round window. Radiates outward, that's your radial design. Proportion is concerned with the size relations of one part to another. Scale refers to size as measured against a standard, such as a human being. When you look at the artwork of many of the Hudson River School artists, you often see a human included inside their imagery. And this is to help set the scale so that you realize this is how big a human is. This is how big and majestic the vista you're looking at is. Um, and it's what helped 
for the creation of the national park system in the United States was these magnificent images of the Wild West. Hierarchical proportion or scale is when figures are arranged in a work of art so size indicates importance. You're going to see this a lot in Egyptian hieroglyphics where the biggest figure is the most important figure. You'll also see it in some of the Sumerian artifacts um, that the bigger figures are the most important and smaller ones are less important. Variety refers to the differences or contrast within a work of art. Again, variety isn't chaos. It's just the introduction of some things to add that visual interest. Emphasis is also considered a focal point, or is the focal point. It's the principle that makes one part of the artwork stand out more than the other parts, and it attracts the viewer's attention first. Um, it's also probably going to be the most dominant element in the work of art. Focal points are created by the use of contrast, location, isolation, convergence, and the use of the unusual. And it's important here when you're talking about creating a focal point to also talk about the rule of thirds. And the rule of thirds is a principle that decides how elements are placed in a composition, and it usually divides the image into nine quadrants. And the quadrants are divided so that when you look at the top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, those corners where the lines intersect are where you want to put your focal point. And it, it's because that area helps move your eye around the image. If everything's put in the static center, it kind of keeps the viewer's eye there and they don't look at anything else. If you're a photographer, learning to use that rule of thirds when you look through the viewfinder is extremely important because oftentimes as photographers, we only get one shot to get that perfect image because everything changes. Light changes. If it's an animal, the animal moves to a different position. If you're making films, cinematography, or filmmaker, same thing applies. You want to learn how to use that rule of thirds so that when you take your image or your shot, you've got your focal point pretty close to where you want it, which limits the amount of cropping you do, which also saves time in editing, and it also means that as you learn to do this a second nature, you automatically get pretty much a good shot every time you aim the camera. So it's very important to start working with that rule of thirds early on. Unity is the quality of wholeness, completeness, or oneness created through the effective use of the elements of art and principles of design. It's created through simplicity, repetition, proximity, and continuation. And it uses a good balance between harmony and variety. That's what creates unity. And interestingly enough, if you've played video games or you've looked at artwork or images and it just doesn't feel right, doesn't quite resonate with you like it should, probably the elements of art or principles of design haven't been used or something that needs a little more work. You might not recognize what it is, might not know what it is, but it creates that dissonance, that kind of feeling that something's not quite right.
Harmony creates unity by stressing similarities of separate but related parts. Color and use of related shapes are both ways to create harmony. So this gives you kind of that visual language. It also helps you as an artist when you talk about your artwork. Um, in most galleries, when you show your work, they ask you for an artist statement. So the better you can articulate what you use to create your pieces, what your imagery stands for, the more meaningful that gallery interaction will be for the viewers. And it also helps project you as an artist that can speak well. You're not just someone that puts the canvas on, on the ground, throws paint, and doesn't have any, any rhyme or reason behind it. Um, even Jackson Pollock had a method to his madness, so to speak, as some people would say. So learn to use the vocabulary. Make it your friend. And the better you can use this vocabulary, the stronger your finished pieces are going to be as an artist the better feedback you're going to give as an art director, and it's going to give you a, a new way to look at art and kind of, you know, art that you didn't like, you might be able to talk about objectively without that interjection of personal opinion. This wraps up episode two. Be sure to check out our Facebook page, and if you want to support, support our channel, buy us a coffee, and we will check you out next time. Stay safe. Stay well. Have a good night.